The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. The war between Israel and Hamas has hit another grim milestone. More than 20,000 people have died in Gaza since October 7th, according to the Palestinian Ministry of Health in Gaza. It's a challenge in any mass casualty situation, whether it be a war or a natural disaster or a mass shooting, to accurately count the number of people killed. When you factor in consistent bombing, ground fighting, crumbling infrastructure, depleting resources, hospitals caught in the crossfire, and two governing factions that are not 100% forthcoming with their information, that challenge is amplified. As a news organization, there are certain mechanisms we use to verify death tolls. There's a formula behind how we decide what information is reportable. The NBC News Standards and Practices team considers the Gaza Health Ministry's figures on deaths to be reliable for a few reasons. The United Nations World Health Organization and other trusted international human rights groups rely on these numbers. These groups have said they have no reason not to believe the health ministry's figures. These organizations have found that Gaza's numbers have been accurate in past conflicts. So whatever you think of Hamas, history suggests that they don't exaggerate the number of casualties that result from their conflicts with Israel. The Gaza Health Ministry does not provide the cause of death, but describes the dead as victims of, quote, Israeli aggression. Its figures do not distinguish between military and civilian deaths. Gaza's casualty count has been publicly scrutinized by Israel, with Israeli officials saying many of the people killed by the IDF were, in fact, Hamas combatants. The point is this. We believe from Israeli officials that 1,200 people were killed in Israel on October 7th, and we believe from Hamas that about 20,000 people and counting have been killed in Gaza since then. I did not want to start with that clip. I resisted for many, many minutes to watch that clip, but as Mr. Flurry often says, I did it for you. It was a seven-minute clip that was posted on Grabian. I diluted it down to about two minutes there, and there's still a lot to unpack that I just could not resist. And I will note, I did not watch the entire episode. I could never subject myself to doing that for an entire hour. I, I don't, I can't imagine anybody could do that the entire imagine doing that the entire primetime lineup on msnbc listening to stuff like that for what from 6 p.m to 10 p.m i don't know of anybody who would do that well welcome back to the trumpet daily this is sam livingston your guest host on today's show i wanted to use that clip because i think it will lead into a lot of the uh subject matter I want to talk about on today's show. I'll start with just unpacking some of what Ali Velshi said there. Of, of course, trust Hamas's health uh, statistics there. The, the Palestinian Ministry of Health. Ali Velshi, also note, he used to work for Al Jazeera along with a few other hosts on MSNBC. I've started calling MSNBC just Al Jazeera America. That went under what, like 10 years ago? So they just pretty much moved over to MSNBC. So if you want the 
radical Islamist talking points, the propaganda, you can pretty reliably find that on MSNBC. The beginning of that clip, Velshi says there are two governing factions that are not 100% forthcoming with their information. Yeah, Hamas and Israel. You can't trust either one of them. That is MSNBC explaining their rigorous fact-checking process. I laughed out loud when, he's, when he said the NBC News Standards and Practices team. <laughs> and then he called it, as a news organization, there are certain mechanisms we use. It's <laughs> just clown world. Israel is our closest ally, America's closest ally, and there is MSNBC's host. You can't you, you can't trust Israel any more than you can trust Hamas. They're on the same level. And we, as a news organization and our standards and practices teams, will tell you who to believe. Uh, <laughs> there's just, I, again, so many laugh out loud moments in this clip. I couldn't believe, he said, the United Nations World Health Organization, they, they're the ones... They couldn't even condemn the October 7th attack. You couldn't even get a vote by the UN to just condemn it. Just the words, we condemn that attack. Oh, but they believe Hamas and MSNBC, the United Nations, World Health Organization, very trusted. Remember COVID? Remember how much the world trusts the World Health Organization? And then I, again, I couldn't believe History suggests that Hamas don't exaggerate the number of casualties that result from their conflicts with or from Israel. Then, the Gaza Health Ministry does not provide the cause of death, but described the dead as victims of Israeli aggression. So, we have a new COVID. Every death in Gaza is caused by Israeli aggression. If you died of COVID and you live in Gaza, your death certificate says... You died of Israeli aggression. I, I, there's two million people in Gaza, probably what? A couple thousand people die a month from the day that the conflict started in October. What, we're at the end of December, let's say three months. Probably 6,000, 7,000 people have died of natural causes, maybe some of COVID. Those are deaths by Israeli aggression. You can't die of anything else in Gaza except Israeli aggression. And to the standards and practice, what is, what is it? News standards and practices team at NBC, we're gonna take Hamas's word for it. Now, again, there are obviously going to be many deaths. It's a war. But to quote the World Health Organization, to, to read those things from the Hamas Health Ministry, and, and he's there, he's trying to explain why MSNBC has credibility, why you should believe us. We're going to be really transparent about why we believe Hamas's uh, death toll. Now, again, it's probably in the thousands. They're probably uh, being very misleading about who is actually dying there. I mean, Israel goes to tremendous extremes. Sometimes, I mean, in my opinion, they're too transparent about it. I saw a video where they were, they were publishing, this was the IDF, some of the, the footage of drones or, or their, their, uh, the cameras that were watching these buildings they're about to strike. 
and they would call off an airstrike if somebody was walking past a building. That's after they drop all of the, the warning signs around the buildings to say, hey, we're going to come bomb this building. That's after they send the text messages to everyone telling them what building they're going to bomb. Then they're about to do it, but they call it off because there's a civilian there. So if Hamas sees that, what are they going to do? Just put more people around the buildings and Israel won't bomb them. And why does Israel have to do that? Because they want Ali Velshi to like them. Why do they care what Ali Velshi says? Because the only people that can stomach watching that stuff are the people in Washington, D.C. And the people in Washington, D.C. are the ones that determine if Israel gets money and weapons. MSNBC, though, has to tell you, the American viewer, we are a news organization and we are very credible. This Ali Velshi, by the way, he's the one that stood in front of the burning building during the Summer of Love and said, this is a mostly peaceful protest. That is MSNBC. Someone sent me an article just before the show. This, is, this was on MSNBC. I think it was on the front page. Taylor Swift could save Joe Biden in 2024. No, seriously. MSNBC. And the host delivering that is another former Al Jazeera host. <laughs> you can't make it up. Just the, the confluence of clown world content on that network. So two days after Velshi comes and explains how the network fact checks or, or verifies the death count. Again, there are probably thousands of people who have been killed in this conflict. It's a war. Israel is retaliating. Israel is defending itself against a regime that wants to wipe it off the map. So MSNBC is trying to tell you how credible they are, why you should believe them. Two days later, after Velshi runs that, that explanation, MSNBC has a Palestinian journalist on their show. And I put, have to put everything in air quotes now, and it's just running out of... Uh, I mean, everything is in an air quote, so now it's almost like meaningless because this is a Palestinian journalist, and this is what she had to say on MSNBC, clip four. The Arab countries uh, put offers on the table consistently and continually. The one country that keeps refusing those ceasefires and those conditions is Israel, and it's backed by the United States. I mean, we had an Israeli officials going on television, I believe, two days ago, and whoever consume Israeli television like I do, they can see clearly the rhetoric. So when President Biden talks about, oh, they care about Palestinian lives, not only they don't care, behind the scene they're not putting red lines or pressuring Israel to comply with international law when they drop their bombs on hospitals and schools, on, on refugee camps, on killing people in churches. I mean, Yasmin, we've seen this week two glimpses of this war because we don't have international journalists. Luckily, we have Palestinian journalists who are being killed at a rate we've never seen anything like this since the Vietnam War. And from the standpoint of the international community, this is not only a war on Hamas. This is a war on the Palestinian people. This is a war of extermination. Where are the fact checkers? I mean, this is MSNBC. They won't let you watch a Donald Trump speech. You can't watch the president of the United States. And if we do show you a clip, we've got a live fact checker there to keep you informed. This girl gets on and that host won't even interrupt her once to say refugee camps. 
you mean the tent cities that are just filled with refugees fleeing from the areas Israel said they were going to bomb? You say Israel is bombing these tent cities? The hospital, what, like Al-Shifa? Remember the parking lot? And oh, let's go back to Velshi. We trust these figures. Seconds after this, this hospital was blown up, death count, 500 people, hospital leveled. All of them ran with it. All of them said, this is true because the Hamas health ministry says so. And historically, they're very accurate and we shouldn't doubt what they say. Well, it turns out it was a failed rocket launched by Islamic Jihad and it landed in a parking lot and didn't even kill more than 10 people. But we trust the Hamas health ministry. Really, historically, there's no reason not to. Then this girl gets on there and says, Israel is bombing refugee camps and hospitals and the MSNBC host won't say, hold on a minute, fact check, where is that happening? And then concludes with, this is a war of extermination, as in the Israelis are going in to exterminate all the people in Gaza. Velshi, I took it out of that clip because there's just so much in there. Talks about, well, the death toll now is at 20,000 in Gaza, and Hamas only killed, he said, only killed 1,200 Israelis. As if Israel has to go in there, like we played the Douglas Murray clip a few weeks ago, uh, a disproportionate response. So what is Israel to do? Israel has to go into Gaza, it has to kidnap 1,200 Gazans and treat them exactly the way the Hamas terrorists did? Is that how you, what is that, proportionate, a proportionate response? A war of extermination. This was in the New York Post just yesterday. Israel finds explosive belts made for kids' toy chests with warheads in Gaza. That is the enemy they're up against. They're sending their troops into this city, doing the worst kind of warfare you can do, going door to door, trying to find these hostages, trying to eradicate Hamas. And they have to challenge everything because Hamas doesn't abide by the international rules of war, whatever that means. Why would they? Why would anybody go in there expecting Hamas to abide by international law? But Israel, oh, they're held up by that standard for sure. There are all sorts of crazies on American universities that will give interviews like that woman gave. I mean, she said, there, she admitted there are not journalists in Gaza, but thankfully there are Palestinian journalists. I've seen a few of the Palestinian journalists. They're quite the actors. <laughs> they, they, they end up at a lot of uh, sites that have been bombed and they suffer from a lot of mortal wounds. And it's amazing how well-traveled they are and how they happen to be at every site where there's an airstrike and are always about to die. Those are Hamas propagandists. This is from the latest issue of the Trumpet Magazine, January 2024. The post-truth world says, whom can you trust? How do you know what is true? There is a way you can know. When you wake up in the morning, you find that you and the universe around you are real, that everything functions according to interconnecting laws and that those laws were designed with intent and for the benefit of human beings. 
Unless you are so willful as to shut your eyes to reality, you understand that this requires the existence of a creator with a panoramic intelligence and power and with a direct connection to his human creation. Acknowledging reality also means acknowledging the existence of a powerful force for deceit and destruction. Acknowledging reality also means recognizing that in human history nothing makes such strong claims and provides such strong evidence as the communication from this Creator recorded in the Bible. Proving, proving the authenticity and authority of the Bible must be an individual choice by each person. The purpose of the Bible is to provide human beings in a world of lies the pathway to the truth, historical, prophetic, governmental, biological, physical, and spiritual. It does not claim to contain all knowledge, but as Mr. Armstrong explained in Mystery of the Ages, it contains the foundation of knowledge. It contains truth from the Creator, otherwise unknowable to human beings He created. This is why the best journalists believe in a rational Creator. In a post-truth society, you hear all sorts of self-contradictory statements about family, gender, sex, politics, and a myriad of other topics. But those who at least acknowledge a Creator, the laws of reality, and the rational nature of the creation know it is impossible for two truths to contradict each other. Therefore, if you read a self-contradictory statement, you know your search for truth isn't over. Point being, the foundation has to be right. What are you building on? When you look at MSNBCs, the CNNs, what are they building on? They're all over the place. There's no foundation. They don't believe the Bible. They don't believe even in a creator often. They're atheists, evolutionists. Where is the foundation right? What are you building on? That's what I want to talk about here for the next few minutes. Bible prophecy and these events happening in the Middle East, these events surrounding Jerusalem. This will, will show you where world events are going. It shows you the trend line. It proves the authority of Bible prophecy. It gives you that guideline. It gives you the right foundation to build off of. It proves God's existence. Fulfilled prophecy proves God's existence. Mr. Fleury wrote, this was in the November-December Trumpet Magazine 2023 in an article titled, Behold Your God. He says, we need to watch Jerusalem. From now on, you will find that the focal point of world events is in the Middle East, especially Jerusalem. That is what your own Bible foretells. And Mr. Fleury recently commemorated the 1,000th episode of The Key of David. There's that infographic we produced on your screen. 30 years, 30 plus years of filming the Key of David program. And in that infographic, it, it shows you um, the, the main subjects that he's covered over the years. And then it shows you, it puts this little dot on the date and shows you how frequently he spoke about that topic over the past three decades. And you can see that on your screen. I added that green box to emphasize three things that I wanted to talk about for the next few minutes. One of them is radical Islam led by Iran is the king of the south. The other one, the king of the north will rise. And then the last one there is fall of 
the American superpower. And look, take a moment to look at that infographic in the next issue of The Trumpet. Look at in that green box I put there, how many of those dots talk about those three topics over the last three decades. And we'll go through here in this segment about those statements made in those programs and seeing events happening right now, how they fulfill what your Bible prophesied about 2,500 years ago, how it fits into those subjects Mr. Flurry has been covering for decades, following in the footsteps of Mr. Armstrong, who covered them for another 50 years back. These events are converging in the Middle East. Daniel 11 and verse 40 through 41 talks about at the time of the end. And Mr. Flurry explains in this booklet how you know we're in that, that time period, at the time of the end. It says the king of the south will push at him. All of these things break down into incredible, an incredible amount of detail that explain geopolitical events, that explain the headlines you're witnessing. The king of the south, as Mr. Fleury identifies, is Iran heading up radical Islam. It says that that empire, that king of the south, will push at the king of the north, and that is Germany and the Holy Roman Empire. In the King of the South booklet, Mr. Fleury writes, More and more, it is becoming undeniably clear that the King of the South is Iran. Since the early 1990s, we have believed and taught that Iran would lead the radical Islamist world and be the King of the South. Today in the Middle East, Iran is King. I went back through the Key of David archives to try to find some of those older programs that were on that infographic, and I came across one that was from 1993, and that's when Mr. Fleury wrote that article, is Iraq about to fall to Iran, and identifies Iran as leading this prophesied power that's going to push at Europe. You could go ahead and play clip number five from this 1993 Key of David program. Now, we can show you in these prophecies that that's probably going to be Iran, and it is called in the Bible the King of the South. Islamic extremism is almost certainly going to be the king of the south. You need to understand why. Let's read Daniel 11 and verse 40. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries, and shall overflow and pass over. This is the prophesied clash. Both powers are rising fast on the world scene right now. We're watching for this clash between these two powers. It's amazing. For 30 years, Mr. Fleury has been talking about this. And you watch these day-to-day -day events unfold, and you see it fulfill that larger trend that was prophesied in the Bible. People can say Iran is gaining in power. They can say these things about world events. They can give their day-to-day -day analysis, but they can't say where it's leading. And the Bible says it with incredible accuracy. Look at Iran. Who would, who would say that they were pushy back then? Who would say that they had that sort of foreign policy? But as we'll go through some of these headlines, that's exactly how they behave. You can go ahead and play clip number six from that Key of David program. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. 
All of these three expressions, time of the end, are from the same Hebrew words. So when does the king of the south push at the king of the north? Well, it must happen after Daniel was revealed to God's church, or Herbert W. Armstrong, in this end time. Daniel 12 and verse 9 tells us that the time of the end begins when Daniel was revealed. So the king of the south must arise after Daniel was revealed. These verses point to a king of the south that is yet future. And I believe all indications point to radical Islam headed by Iran as this king. The king of the north is guided by a great religion, and it appears the king of the south is also. That is probably the only way they can unite anyhow. That is religion bringing them together. It would seem logical that two strong religions would clash when they are both in the same general part of the world. Both are also vying for power in a very aggressive way. Just incredibly insightful comments being made three decades ago watching this watching these trends, watching those day-to-day -day events, events, prophesying about what will happen. I don't have time to go through all of the detail in this book, but request it if you don't have a copy of it, the King of the South booklet. You can request that at our website, or you can call the number on your screen. It's amazing the amount of detail that is in there, and when you match up these prophecies, the Psalm 11, or sorry, Daniel 11 and verse 40, talks about the nations that will be essentially allied with Iran, and then you compare that with Psalm 83, and you can, you can figure out, okay, these are the nations that the king of the north attacks. That means they're with Iran. And it talks about Ethiopia, Libya, and Egypt. You could put up that map if you have it. I mean, this is a map that we produced in, in one of our trends articles at the Trumpet website. Shows what is called the Psalm 83 alliance, and then you've got that King of the South Empire. And I'll talk a little bit about how those line up. But that map is the most important map for understanding the Middle East. And it is just, it's a visualization of what your Bible prophesies is going to happen. Now, Mr. Flurry in the King of the South booklet talks about how uh, Libya, Ethiopia, they're going to become allied with Iran because Iran wants control of those trade routes. You look at that map and you understand just a little bit about the geography of the Middle East. Iran is on that Strait of Hormuz. That's all of that Persian Gulf oil has to flow through there from Iraq and Kuwait, Bahrain and Qatar, the United Arab Emirates. And Iran basically controls that. Iran backs this Houthi terror group in Yemen and they are firing rockets into the Bab el-Mandeb Strait. That's that little opening down at the, the bottom right of your screen to get into the Red Sea. And then you get through the Red Sea and you're at another choke point. That is the Suez Canal. And that's in Egypt. And that Egypt is allied with Iran as well. Mr. Fleury writes, but the situation is altogether different if this sea trade route is lined with radical Islamic nations possessing real air power, including missiles and drones says, Iran could also use these trade routes to get control of Jerusalem, Islam's third holiest site. I believe Jerusalem is even more important to Iran than oil is. He says, the soon coming Holy Roman Empire, a superpower with 10 kings, 
dominated by Catholicism and led by the most deceptive and aggressive Germany ever, realizes that Muslim fervor could spread like wildfire should Iran capture Jerusalem. Many Catholics consider Jerusalem their most important religious site. If Iran gets control of that trade route, it could create enormous damage and chaos in America and Europe almost overnight. Germany and the Vatican, the heart of the Holy Roman Empire, are not going to allow the King of the South to take over Jerusalem and the world's number one trade route. Now, if you've been watching events over the last two weeks, you see that's exactly what Iran is doing. They're pushing using those trade routes. Again, this is something that Mr. Flurry talked about in that 1993 uh, Key of David program. You can go ahead and play clip number seven. The King of the South could rule Iraq or Iran or both countries, but it is looking more now like Iran may produce this king. It looks very much like the end time King of the South will rule the radical Islamists. Iran is a natural leader for many of them today. You can see that just by reading your newspapers. Iran also has a goal to lead this group. I mean, it's something they plan. Iran and other Islamic nations are giving strong support to Muslims fighting the Bosnia-Herzegovina civil war in Yugoslavia. The Muslims make up 42% of Bosnia-Herzegovina. Daniel 11, verse 40 reads, Daniel 11, and verse 40, And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots and with horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries, and shall overflow and pass over. The push, or the word push, provokes the whirlwind response, probably immediately, not many years later. This time of the end, as it says in these verses, involves the king of the north, or the seventh resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire. Now what makes these prophecies so amazing is that nobody in the world is talking about a rising Germany. Nobody's talking about the rise, the seventh resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire. You have to find where God is working. You have to find who produces booklets like this that explain these verses that say, in the end time, this is what's going to happen. Mr. Fleury writes in The King of the South, the King of the South is going to push at the King of the North, probably brandishing its power over the Mediterranean Red Sea route. Libya, Ethiopia, and other nations along the Red Sea play a key role in Iran's trade route strategy. That push will be a dramatic act of war that will provoke a violent response from the King of the North. Another thing that Mr. Flurry points out in that Daniel 11 prophecy is that America and Britain are not mentioned there. America has a huge presence in the Middle East. They have bases, I think, in Djibouti. There are aircraft carriers all over there. But people, these nations recognize that America is weak, that America, you don't have to acknowledge them anymore. They're not going to back up their strong words. Mr. Fleury writes in the King of the South booklet, The blatantly bold and aggressive foreign policy of Iran must lead to war. It will either conquer or be conquered. Bible prophecy makes it clear that Iran will be conquered. Think seriously about the fact that this will not occur at the hands of America or Britain. These nations aren't even involved 
in this prophesied war. That is because they are going to fall into social and economic ruin before this prophecy is even fulfilled. The time when Britain and America were superpowers or kings is history. Look at America in social and economic ruin. I'll talk in a little bit about how the Biden uh, regime, they don't want to confront Iran. They're, they're too concerned about, or they're too wrapped up in the social ruin. Well, we can't deal with this politically. And really, that is Joe Obama. That's Obama's signature foreign policy is to empower Iran. So we see these dramatic prophecies being fulfilled. There's that king of the south. There's the king of the north. America not involved. There's this push strategy. There's the king of the north responding like a whirlwind. And then you have this Psalm 83 alliance. You can put that map back up on the screen that shows these nations that are not going to be affiliated with the king of the south or Iran, that are actually going to work with Germany. Mr. Fleury again goes through those verses comparing Psalm 83 and Daniel 11. And, and that led to the creation of that map that you see there. Again, something that he has been talking about for decades, watching these trends. Let's go through a few headlines from over the last few weeks. This one actually that I wanted to start with, this is from back in May. And this is May 2023. It says, United Arab Emirates says it exited U.S.-led naval force. Essentially, the U.S., they lead this coalition to try to protect ships in this area, merchant fleets. And the United Arab Emirates just said, we don't want to be a part of that anymore. The Wall Street Journal says after they issued that statement, they didn't explain why they were leaving. When you look back at that map, the United Arab Emirates, they're part of that Psalm 83 Alliance, then in the King of the South booklet, talks about how much interaction they're having with Germany and the European Union. That was before even the October 7th attack, where America is not trusted. After Afghanistan, after Obama set all of that up, that chaos by design to undermine America and empower Iran, those other Arab nations, they don't trust the United States and they have to turn somewhere else for help. America has a huge presence there in the Middle East, but nobody fears America. They, they've sent aircraft carriers to the Red Sea, and Iran is still firing at these cargo ships. They're not intimidated. They're not scared. They know Biden doesn't want to act. A lot of that is, is weakness. A lot of that is, again, chaos by design. This is all empowered by Obama when he created the Iran deal, when he empowered the regime there in Iran. A few weeks ago, we wrote about the largest shipping companies in the world announcing that they wouldn't be traversing through the Red Sea because the threat was too serious to go up through that trade route. And it's, it's interesting when you look at these nations that, who owns the largest shipping companies in the world. None of them are the United States. It's a Swiss-Italian Mediterranean, Mediterranean shipping company, the Danish company Maersk, French shipping company CMA, China's Orient Overseas Container Line, German Hapag Lloyd, Taiwan's Evergreen Marine Corps. These are European 
and Asian nations. Again, we could spend all day talking about another prophecy in Isaiah 23 that talks about the mart of nations and this alliance between Europe and, and Asia. And it's this trade block that uh, essentially economically besieges America. So Europe and China, they're biggest trading partners, I believe, now in the world. And they're having to deal with the easiest route for them to have trade is being blocked because of Iran. Iran is using that trade route strategy. The Wall Street Journal on December 17th, the Houthi assault on global shipping, says the USS Kearney, this is a destroyer ship in the Red Sea, has shot down 14 attack drones launched from Yemen, and that was just on one day. So the U.S. is doing a little bit there. They, they strictly want to engage with the Houthi rebels, they don't want to do anything with Iran. They don't want to escalate this in any way. Following the announcement of those, those um, shipping companies saying they won't go up through the Red Sea, the United States announced that it would lead this coalition to uh, secure passage through this trade route. It's called Operation Prosperity Guardian. And I was just looking at some of the nations that have agreed to take part in this. It's led by the United States, the United Kingdom. And then it's all these smaller countries. Some of them don't even really have navies. And the ones that do, well, they don't want to give their ships. They're just sending three or four captains to, to help the United States. So this is supposed to be America's big pushback against Iran. And nobody is taking it seriously. Now, it, again, is really interesting to see the United States and a few of these European countries, I think, uh, who's involved? Denmark, Norway, the Netherlands. Again, I don't think they're actually dedicating any ships to this. Uh, but to see at least the European Union, some European Union nations get involved in what's happening along those trade routes. But it's led by the United States and it has no teeth. On December 19th, this is also from the Wall Street Journal. This is after they know, this is after Lloyd Austin's tough talk. The Houthis don't back down. Iran doesn't back down. This article is titled, uh, The Houthis, Iran and U.S. Deterrence. And this is after Lloyd Austin said that Iran must stop. He's giving them this ultimatum. The journal says, it's good to work with allies, but the truth is that this effort will depend largely on U.S. military power and political will. The details of how the task force will operate aren't clear, and many of the countries barely have a navy. All of this shows that the Houthis and their Iranian backers have already succeeded in their goal of damaging Western interests. They've forced the world to deploy scarce naval assets to defend commercial shipping, yet they have paid no political or military price for this modern piracy which raises Secretary Austin's must-stop ultimatum. In the best scenario, the Houthis and Iran, Iran will heed this warning, heed his warning, and stand down. But what if they don't? Will the U.S. do what it hasn't so far and retaliate with strikes on Houthi launch sites or missile stores? Has the U.S. warned the Iranian mullahs that their military or nuclear assets will be at risk? Would the Obama regime ever do that? The journal concludes, these questions go to the heart of failing U.S. deterrence against the world's rogues. 
the Houthis and Iranians, like the Russians in Ukraine, sense that President Biden wants, above all, to avoid escalating conflicts. They think he's terrified of another headline about world chaos in an election year. I'm sure there's a degree of that, but there's also the fact that this regime loves to watch Iran gain in power, loves to watch America be embarrassed on the world stage, and that fills, fits right in to that King of the South booklet. What Mr. Flurry said about that Daniel 11 prophecy, the United States is not even mentioned there. They're so weak, nobody fears them because they're taken out by this social unrest, by the economic unrest. There's a lot of isolationist thinkers in America. There's a weak regime in power that, again, wants to empower Iran. All of those things fall right in line with what Mr. Fleury wrote about that Daniel 11 prophecy. Again, following the announcement of this coalition, another headline from the journal, Iranian spy ship helps Houthis direct attacks on Red Sea vessels. They're not backing down. Now, a few of these shipping companies have announced that they will start going back through the Red Sea again, hoping that this U.S.-led operation, uh, what's the name of this operation again? Operation Prosperity Guardian. Again, I think that's an interesting uh, name when you think about what they're doing. Prosperity Guardian. Everybody knows what's going through these sea lanes, especially Europe, especially Germany. This was just from yesterday. Again, following the announcement of the United States-led coalition, the United States already has many ships in this area. December 25th, 2023, Iran-backed forces widen their attacks on commercial shipping. The U.S. Navy said late Saturday that two more vessels had been attacked that day by Iranian-backed Houthi forces in Yemen, bringing the number of commercial ships attacked from Yemen to 15. Uh, the Pentagon said earlier in the day that a chemical tanker in the Indian Ocean was struck by a drone launched directly from Iran. They later write, this is the latest test of Washington's ability to support its closest Middle East allies while trying to contain the conflict from spilling over into a regional war. Melanie Phillips she published an article yesterday titled, The Crisis in the Red Sea. She writes, even though U.S. President Joe Biden's speedy initiative in dispatching two American aircraft carriers to the region is thought to have deterred an all-out onslaught on Israel by Hezbollah, the U.S. has continued to ignore most of the dozens of attacks on its own assets by Iranian-backed militias, let alone the rocket and drone attacks on northern Israel. During Biden's presidency, Iran has initiated 151 attacks against the United States. 46 U.S. service members have so far been wounded, 19 seriously, with traumatic brain injury. Response by America, yet more genuflection to Tehran. That is the defining feature of the Obama administration, and they all know it. Europe knows it. Over the weekend, Drudge plastered that headline on, their, on its front page, Iran threatens to close the Mediterranean. Again, what was that quote from Mr. Flurry's King of the South booklet? 
The king of the south is going to push at the king of the north, probably brandishing its power over the Mediterranean Red Sea route. And if you look back at that map again, Egypt is allied with it, Ethiopia is allied with it, and then you have Iran. Control of those three choke points, that control, I think it's over 10% of global trade. And trade between Europe and Asia. And a lot of oil that would go to Europe as well. Over the weekend, Israel took out uh, a guard commander of the IRGC and Iran has promised to retaliate, says that Israel will pay the price. So everything is, is escalating over there. And then this is from the Hill following Iran's threats to close the Mediterranean Sea. It says the Iranian government has showed support for the militant group in Hamas and its war against Israel, while the U.S. has strongly backed Israel. They shall soon await the closure of the Mediterranean Sea, the Strait of Gibraltar, and other waterways, state media Tasnim quoted Iranian Brigadier General Mohammad Reza Nakhdi as saying. Now look at those prophecies. Use those as the foundation. Use those as the guideline to watch these events unfold. I mean, that will prove God's existence to you. It will prove that knowing the Bible is the, the, the sure word of prophecy is the only way to understand these events. And like we heard in a message over the weekend, that it's not just about getting excited about these events. It's about what they all point to. And that is the return of Jesus Christ. All of these events, when it says in the end time, that's what it's leading to. That's what should excite you about seeing these events unfold. Respond to those events. React to those events. Take action. Request this literature. Read it. Study it. These events, again, they're just, we're watching these day-to-day -day events fall into these big trend lines that were prophesied 2,500 years ago. You're not going to hear about that on MSNBC or CNN or Fox News. And it goes right back to that article coming out in the latest trumpet. Where can you find the truth? Well, you have to build on the truth, and that means you have to have the right foundation. I've got about 10 minutes left. I had a, a smaller section here about some more U.S. politics. The United States Supreme Court, again, another important prophecy that Mr. Fleury has talked about the last few years, how the Supreme Court fits into that Amos 7 prophecy and how it will help Jeroboam or Donald Trump return to power. They've been getting a lot more attention recently. They just told Jack Smith, hey, we're not going to hear your case about presidential immunity. You need to go through the appellate courts just like everybody else. We're not going to play politics here. And they smacked down Jack Smith, said, no, you, you can't do that. And that has really just ended well, not ended, but has been a big victory for Trump because the strategy for him is just delay all of it. Don't even bother arguing with it. Just let it get hung up in the courts. I think in a lot of ways they set themselves a trap because they bit off way more than they could chew. And now they have to follow up on, I mean, what is it? In some of these cases, it's like, uh, he, well, especially the documents case, Trump's been indicted for like 50 counts in there. So now you have to spend all this time trying to prove that. So they wanted the big headlines and, oh, Donald Trump, 91 indictments. Well, there's no way you're going to be able to get that through the court system 
in an election year, and he's trying to hurry it along, but he doesn't want to say that it's because of the election. This is uh, a little montage of the reaction to the Supreme Court's smackdown of Jack Smith, clip one. What's your take on what happened today? Well, Jack Smith is used to getting unanimously slapped down by the Supreme Court like he did when he brought a bogus criminal prosecution against former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell, a likely presidential or vice presidential candidate in 2016. And the Supreme Court today unanimously said, we're not going to hear this case. We're going to go through the normal process. We're not going to go along with your election interference, Jack Smith. You're going to take this through the normal process. And that's the right decision. I mean, it's really a win-win for the Supreme Court, Wolf, uh, because what they do is they avoid looking like they're too eager to reach out for a historic case. It helps them to have the Court of Appeals give them some analysis and background to work on, and it helps their credibility a little bit, uh, that people won't feel like this conservative majority wants to reach out and jump on things, and uh, it's the prudent thing to do, to wait. And that, I think, is a perfect example of why Jack Smith has played himself into a box by the fact that he's obviously thinking about the election, but he still will not say that dreaded E-word. So then how much of a delay are we talking about? The reality is we can't possibly know. Uh, what is the likelihood that we will see either the federal case involving election interference or the classified documents case actually happen before the November election? Low and getting lower. There's this one shot they've really got to have this January 6th federal case go before the election. And it may be the most likely path, but there's about 10 ways that it gets delayed before the election. It doesn't mean uh, that you know these other cases don't pose a real threat to Donald Trump. The Florida case, the documents case, as you mentioned, the problem with that one is because it involves classified documents, it's taking a really long time to go through that process of clearing which documents uh, that Donald Trump and his team can actually review, which documents the jury's going to get to review. There's almost no way that one's going before the election. Um, and then Georgia, for instance, that is so massive in scope with so many people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting with either one of those cases, they could have brought tighter, smaller cases that might have gone before the election. But this is the, the problem with the strategy. They wanted to go all in. They wanted to give the media that red meat so they could talk about how bad Donald Trump was or is. And now they can't actually get it through the court system fast enough. And they make that point. John Ratcliffe, I don't have time to play the clip, talks about, well, the, the constitutional right for a speedy trial, that's for the the person being prosecuted. The government doesn't have a right to rush that along. The person being prosecuted, they should be given as much time as they need to make their case. And that's essentially been Trump's strategy is this is a massive case. You can't just do this in five months. So he's trying to delay. But again, it's neat to see. It's amazing to see the Supreme Court coming into the headlines. There are three cases. I mean, there's the presidential immunity case that we just spoke about. Now there's the January 6th obstruction of an official proceeding case that's coming up. There's the Colorado ballot nonsense. The Supreme Court is going to take center stage over the next year, and the radicals know it, and they're taking aim. This was from an article. The New York Times essentially threatening the court with violence. This is an article titled, The Supreme Court's Big Trump Test is Here. They write, the multiplicity of cases affords the justices an opportunity to avoid pinning themselves and still further 
if they keep an eye on how potential decisions will collectively shape the political landscape. The point is not that getting the underlying legal questions right is irrelevant, but when the stakes are this high and the legal questions are novel, the justices have a duty to hand down decisions that resonate across the political spectrum, or at least that avoid inciting violence in the streets. That's not subverting the rule of law, it's preserving it. I mean, that is a crazy comment. In these cases, because they're novel legal theories, remember, Donald Trump, if he brings a novel legal theory, that's insurrection, even though it wasn't a novel legal theory. If we're doing it, well, the justices, rather than deciding on if it's actually constitutional, they need to look at the political landscape and make sure that their decision will resonate across it so that it doesn't incite violence. Because all of the brown shirts are there on standby for the, other, the next summer of love. I mean, they could do that easily in 2020. They'll find some other event to easily do it again in 2024. Threatening the court with violence. That is the Democrat strategy. As much as they say it's Donald Trump's strategy, they always blame you for what they're guilty of. One more article here, just the headline. This is from Politico. In Trump's unfolding legal drama, the campaign will be conducted in a courtroom. And this, this actually works out for Donald Trump because if you look at the people on the campaign trail, they're not very popular and they're not doing so well. But you know who gets a lot of attention? Because CNN and MSNBC can't stop talking about the bad orange man. They love seeing him in a courtroom. And you know what that means? It proves his point. The system is rigged against him. They are going against him for the, the presidential napkins. They're going against him for challenging an election. They're illegally removing him from a ballot. Everything he says about the system going after regular Americans, it's broadcast right there. Each day for the next year, it's going to be on CNN and MSNBC. Donald Trump getting all of that coverage in a courtroom while DeSantis and Haley are in, in Iowa with nobody watching. It's amazing watching how their plans just fail over and over and over again. That is all we have time for on today's show. If you would like any of the literature, email us, td at thetrumpet.com. You can send us any comments or feedback there as well. You can also call our toll-free number, 1-866-930-3024. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you again tomorrow.